0: Hello everybody, I'm Elliot Waters and welcome to the Dysregulated Podcast. Thank you for listening. Um, Speaking of that, we've just ticked over, and it is we because we're on this journey together, we have just ticked over 100 downloads for the podcast. Woo! How good is that? I am shocked that people would listen to me. So for all of you people listening, thank you so much. I really do appreciate that. See, it's good because my inner critic said, and we'll talk more about the inner critic further down the track. My inner critic keeps telling me that no one's going to listen to the podcast. So cop that inner critic. Get that up, yeah. All right. Okay. Let's get into it. Today's going to be a pretty, this is a pretty raw episode, I would say, about my time on the psychiatric ward. So, you know, there's a lot sort of tied up in that. Um, and as a result, I won't go through all of my experiences on the psychiatric ward today, but I am going to pull out one particular story and one particular woman, Diane, who changed my viewpoint on my own mental health forever. Okay. So I went up to the mental health ward. I spoke to the psychiatrist and they said, Elliot, you need some time out. We think you need to stay overnight at least. And at this point, was pretty depressed. I was very anxious too. So the anxiety is saying, "No, no, 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 we don't want to do that. No, no, no chance." And the depression was saying, "Well, maybe we should. Maybe we should go in." So anyway, the depression won out in this case. Not the depression though. It's more the symptoms of the depression. I'll explain that in a minute too. So anyway, so we're on the psych ward. So I'm going in there and. I don't know if you guys have heard of um, imposter syndrome, but it's basically where you know, you're know you in a position at work and you think oh, I'm a fraud or you have some identity that you subscribe to or people think you do something really well and you think, no, 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 I'm a fraud. Well, I have imposter syndrome really badly at both ends of the spectrum. So if I'm doing something good and people are praising me for something, Feel like this doesn't happen often. But anyway, when they do, this could be the imposter syndrome. Um, I always diminish their praise and say, no, 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 no. They've got it wrong. I know what's really right and I'm a fraud. I'm not as good as they're saying. But what's interesting is that actually, for me, and I'd love to know from you guys if this happens to you too, it actually goes the other way too. So when I'm really quite, you know, in the hole, in the grind, feeling depressed, a lot of melancholy and, Thinking that you know things are really bad because they probably are, imposter syndrome again. Come on, Elliot, you need to grow up. You're not that bad. Everyone else has it worse than you. You need to stop being so dramatic. So at both ends of the spectrum, I'm being being shouted down by this this idea that I'm a fraud and I'm I'm an imposter. It's really very frustrating. Anyway, anyway, so I'm in the psych ward and I'm looking around. And I'm thinking, I don't need to be here. I'm not on the same level as these people. I am the odd one out. If you lined us all up, I am the one that sticks out. Now, on first viewing or face value, that could almost sound arrogant, but again, it wasn't arrogance. It was this trying to diminish the severity of what I was going through and and trying to just diminish my feelings and my perceptions in general and to discredit myself. And this is where mental illnesses are so invasive and in how they sort of get their talons in. And so what is driving this imposter syndrome, especially in this case, was my depression. And I'll tell you why. The depression doesn't want to be in the psychiatric ward because the depression is in danger. The psychiatric ward is where the floodlights are on and they point to the depression and they say, right, that's it there, go get it. So obviously, the depression is distorting my perceptions of myself and those around me. It's really insidious. And these these mental illnesses do this a lot. Um, another of the illnesses that I have, which is borderline personality disorder, it is a classic for this. There is a whole idea of this BPD lens which is like the way you see the world, it is all distorted, and it's not actually as it is. So this was going on a lot in the psych ward. So I'm, you know, I was very anxious, so I was staying in my room a lot, you know, just staying on bed, on my bed. You know, there's no TV, there's really nothing to do, but it's just you and your own thoughts, which, you know, in a lot of ways was therapeutic at that time. But then I would venture out, and I'd sit in the common room, and, and I'd people watch. I'm a real big proponent of people watching which makes sense being a psychology student, of course. I, I love watching human behaviour and trying to understand it. And that's exactly what I thought I was sort of in there for. It felt like I was on on a bit of a, what's the word? Placement. Yeah, it, it was like I was on placement and I was a psychology student in there. I wasn't Elliot that needed mental health help and interventions. I was Elliot, the psychology student. And my purpose there was not to get better from anything, because really, there was nothing to get better from. You know, it's all in my head. What I was there was to learn about human behavior by watching everyone else. It was all, they had the problems, I didn't have problems, and I needed to get the hell out of there. Anyway, there was this one person called Diane. She would have been in her mid-60s, very paranoid. I don't know what her diagnosis was, of course, that makes sense. I I probably shouldn't anyway, but... Very paranoid, um the doctors were trying to control her mind. The medication or the medications were the tools in which to control her mind and to be honest, she told a very compelling story by the end of it. I was starting to believe it too um, but she was very capable of coherent thought, and she she told me a few stories about herself um, She had many cats at home that needed feeding that the doctors were were refusing to allow her to go and feed, which was terrible. um I don't actually know if these cats were actually real at this point, but you know again, very compelling. She worked at a car dealership for thirty odd years, had a few stories about that, which was good. I think she from memory a couple of years ago now um I think she had a son and a daughter, I think. And yeah, she was just very approachable, and and she was sort of like the the way I perceived it was. She was sort of like the leader of everybody. She just had this air about her, and I had a feeling she'd been in in the ward quite a few times. I don't think this was her first go, like it was for me. And anyway, so I'm sitting around, you know, thinking that that I'm I'm learning, and that's why I'm in here, and what a wonderful opportunity it is to be here and see psychology in motion. Um, and I thought I was pretty sound of mind, you know, which, which, you know, like I said, there was nothing wrong, which is ridiculous considering I was going through a rough patch, which had now lasted about 15 years. Like, hello, that is pretty compelling evidence to say, maybe you're here for a reason. But anyway, so I was looking at the mannerisms of the other people in the wards. So I'll try and describe it um, as vividly as I can. So many were displaying clear signs of psychosis. So that's, so psychosis is sort of a, when your grasp of reality is gone and, you know, you, you have delusions, um, your, your speaking tone, your cognitions are disordered, um, even your balance can go and the way you move as well. Um, so a lot of people with psychosis and also severe psychomotor retardation. So what that basically means is, you know, sort of shuffling walk, um, slow movements rounded shoulders you know looking downwards that sort of stuff which I might add I had too but I just didn't realize it so basically everyone else was pretty much doing what I was doing except I just didn't have a handle on that so anyway anyway so I'm still in la-la land thinking that I'm too good for all of this and then Diane comes up to me as I'm sitting in the chair, and I was I remember I was staring off in the distance, just thinking. I can't remember what I was thinking, but I, I can actually picture this moment as if I was there now. Um, and Diane comes over. And I remember thinking, uh-oh, what's going on here? And I look up, um, which I wasn't doing much of at that point. I was a lot looking at the ground, looking at my feet, very interesting. And she came up to me and said, You are too young to be in here. And I was like, What? What? Because, again, I was severely depressed, so even speaking was a big effort and a lot of my words were sort of muffled and there was no real conviction behind the way I spoke, unlike now, of course, listen to me. Anyway, Um, and she said, you're too young to be in here. And I sort of agreed with her, although that's not true, of course, age has no bearing on these things. It's all about how you present, what your perceptions of reality are, and and essentially, if your quality of your life is positive or not, or or how your moods are. Of course, there's plenty of different ways that we can measure these psychological illnesses and, and presentations. Um, and she said, not only are you too young to be in here, after a bit of a conversation about that, everybody here is really worried about you. Now, this got me. I said, What? There was no muffled what then. That was, that was said with conviction. I said, what do you mean everyone's worried about me? You're kidding. Surely. And then she explained that I looked really sad and really depressed and everyone, and she stresses again, everyone was worried about me. And it was like someone slapped me across the face, threw a bucket of water on me and I woke up. I finally woke up. And it was pretty instantaneous too. There was no sort of protracted, you know, meditating on the idea that maybe I am sick. See, that's the thing. I knew that I was, but I repressed it for so long and so well, I would win a gold medal for repression, I reckon. Not anymore, but that's a good thing. I'd repressed these things for so long that I deluded myself into thinking there was nothing wrong. But all it took was that external force to just prod that that cognition that had been lying dormant and then boom I was awake again. And that moment really humbled me. As I said, I finally admitted to myself and it was very quick too that I was sick. Really sick. And if I didn't do anything about this now and accept what was going on and commit to change, I would end up here again and again and again. And if that cycle continued, I may not get another chance. And it was a very, as I said, it was a very humbling, even now I feel humbled by it. Here's this person who I was feeling almost pity for, was now... Saying that I was the one that was worrying everybody, and that that's the sort of stuff that really knocks you down a peg, and and you think to yourself, all right, let's be a bit fair income about this. Let's let's actually have a look at what's really going on. And I'm so glad that that moment came. And it's such a good lesson though that sometimes it does take the input from others, you know, those external cues to disrupt our negative internal monologues, because if that voice inside our heads, it could be the internal. The, the 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 inner critic it could be the the inner child, there's a lot of psychological theories around this, which again, down the track we're going to go through. Um, if those forces, those negative forces are strong, they totally cloud your judgment, and it's so difficult and near impossible to overcome that on your own, and that's why this external input, these external cues, are so important to disrupt our negative internal monologues. So in this case, depression was trying to convince me I was fine to protect itself, the bastard. As in, here in this ward, it was in danger. And if I accepted that I had a problem now, it knew I might then start to do something and it wouldn't be able to stop it and do something I am. I haven't eradicated it yet, but I am working on it. And it's those external cues that are so important. And this is such an important lesson I want to actually talk about a little bit more, because the other thing that happens too is that people, depression can be quite severe and, and quite and it can happen very quickly, but sometimes it can be very protracted and, and take a long time and be quite gradual. And in those cases, the gradual declines over many weeks, um, and you see this in bipolar too, where people will be at a which is the normal level of living, which is what most people hopefully sit at, then very slowly the nose tips and you start going down into a depressive episode. But to begin with, you don't really notice. You might just be a little bit more tired, but that could be because you're working late or you might just feel a bit flat, but hey, everyone feels flat sometimes, But then all of a sudden, it's so gradual, you're in the depressive episode, but you don't even quite know it because it's been so stealthy in the way that it's gone. And I've found in my personal experience, what's really helped me is having those those wonderful support people around me that can offer those external cues and say, hey, I've noticed this. Is everything all right? And then all of a sudden, you pull up and think, hmm, well, I didn't notice that, but okay, uh, maybe not. Let's invest, investigate this a little bit more. So it's so important, external cues, because sometimes the person who's going through a tough time isn't completely aware that they're going through a tough time. And all of a sudden, those bad days become the norm and you sort of get used to it. Like, don't get me wrong. It's not enjoyable at all. I'm not saying that, but that's just how it is. And I remember when I was going through school, I was I had a lot of you know, a lot of bad days. And and to me, that was just what life was. And thankfully, now I've got those external cues that says, hang on, no, no, something's going on here, Elliot. I think you need to have a look at it. And look at it, I do. So yeah, so it's very important. Yeah, the people do tell those they care about that they've noticed changes. So if you're listening and you you aren't going through a mental illness, which is great, but the statistics show that you probably know someone who is, and you probably care about them a lot. Don't be afraid to pull them up if you think they need to be pulled up. Because as I said, their perception may not be the complete reality and it can be very clouded. That fog descends and it's very hard to see through the fog. Um, so yes, so that was Diane, a lovely lady, um, she changed my outlook on mental health forever and, and took away the veil of ignorance that I had about myself that depression had put over me, and thankfully she did because it was only then, and this would have been two to three, uh, three, three and a half years ago, three years ago I think it was. As I said, I was going through a rough patch for 15 years and I was doing nothing about it, Nothing. And if she didn't have that conversation with me, even though I was in the psych ward, I still wasn't coming to terms and accepting and committing to change. And it took that person to really show me what was going on. So Diane, I'm forever grateful. Um, I did go to that same ward, uh, not as a patient, but to visit someone else. And Diane wasn't there, which which I was happy about because I know Diane from our brief time together. She's a fighter. If she wasn't there, I reckon she is out there thriving, and I hope she is, and I hope somehow she understands the impact that she had on my world because, yeah, earth-shattering. But out of the shattered ashes of my former perceptions, the new me is growing. All right. Thank you very much, everybody. Thanks for listening. Um, If you want to connect with me, please do so on Instagram at elliot.t.waters. Um, please like, subscribe, share, all that sort of stuff, and tell people to listen because the more people that listen, this <laughs> sounds like I'm bribing people, um, I don't mean to be manipulating, but the more people that listen, the more my inner critic goes back into its corner where it belongs. All right, awesome. I'll leave it at that. Thank you very much, and stay strong. See you next time.